Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. Hi everyone, it's uh, Roxanne Durhaj of Authentic Living with Roxanne. Today I have someone um, that is a marketing specialist and uh, her name is uh, Melissa Lorena. <laughs> See, I, I stumbled on that. And Melissa is located in, what part of Australia are you located in? Yes, I am Sydney, Australia, but I'm a native New Yorker, hence my accent. Oh yes, for sure. We, we, I could hear a little bit of that. So what's, uh, what's things like out to up your weight today. Are things kind of moving along with the with um, uh, COVID nineteen? Uh, are you finding the impact out there on businesses and stuff like that? You know what? It's a little bit of a, a slow progress here in the southern hemisphere. I would say that um, we're really kind of keeping an eye out to our friends in the northern hemisphere. Definitely looking at what you know Europe is going through, and from a U.S. perspective, my family's there, so right. we're we're not quite on on edge in terms of what it is we need to do. My kids are at school, but okay. um, but we're being very cautious. Definitely, social distancing is definitely. I see it all around. Absolutely. And I think we're, we uh, just closed down. We uh, today, a lot of uh, Canada. So, um, so we're, we're kind of, we're a little bit behind the U S but we've just kind of closed most of the borders to the European countries and uh, just keeping up the, keeping the U S and the Canadian borders open to U S and Canadian citizens. And that's it. So we just kind of moved up things a little bit more. So hence why today's been a little bit of a busy day. So let me tell everybody about uh, Lorena, Melissa Lorena and what she's done. Um, so she helps proven marketers just rediscover what makes them unique so that they can land their dream job, which I'm sure a lot of people out there are you know, hovering, but they're not sure how to land in a forward thinking uh, company where their ideas are listened to, valued and supported. She's worked with uh, over 16 business units and on billion dollar uh, brands like P&G, IBM for Ogilvy and Mather. And she's, you've been featured in Forbes, what an accomplishment, Financial Times, um, USJ, which I don't, is that, what's that, what does that stand for? Wall Street w- Journal, was it? Wall Street Journal, mm-hmm. uh, Huffington Post, uh, Fox Business and others. And um, we, happened across each other because we also we both belong um to uh, a, a facebook uh, group called she podcast where there's a lot of female entrepreneurs that are podcasting and we kind of find the ability to connect with other uh, like-minded uh female entrepreneurs so melissa tell me a little bit about now okay so you've got the, one of those lifestyles you were born in new york i'm going to assume you you grew up in new york and you ended up like on the other side <laughs> So how did you end up on, on the Southern Hemisphere? What was, your, what was your path to get you there? Well, it's, it's a question that everybody asks me. And so they assume it's because of employment, right? Okay. They're like, oh, maybe you or your husband were relocated because of employment. But that is 100% false. It was based on curiosity and wanting to live this life in a more adventurous way. And my husband and I, we have three little boys 
And so I have identical twins. They're six, six, and then an eight-year-old, so a singleton. And we wanted them to see that there is a world outside of the United States. Mm -hmm. And so it was deliberate. And so at that time, back when we made the decision to relocate, we had never even visited Australia. So it was truly sight unseen. However, my husband and I were very, very fortunate in that we both can work from home. Mm -hmm. So this is not new to us. I mean, for me, my business, I've had it since 2011. And Mm -hmm. I've been working from home this entire time. Because for me, when I opened it up, the the idea came about when I became a mom. And so my intention was to always be near my children and be the primary, you know, caretaker. Mm -hmm. And so for my husband, it just so happened that he was able to make it happen on his end and find an employer who had such a solution for him to have us all come to this side of the world. So of course our families think we're like wild <laughs> for doing this, but, um, but it's, you know, it, this was the most stable way. I mean, thank God we have healthcare and everything all settled. So thank goodness. But that, that's what prompted us really curiosity and a sense of adventure. Absolutely adventurous to go from uh, New York to, uh, to Sydney. Um, and how long have you been in, in Sydney now? So we've been here for over a year now. Oh, wow. Over a year. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the boys, do they like it? You know, it's, that's the funny part. And I've heard this before. So children are way more resilient than us adults. Mm -hmm. I mean, for them, all they care about is that mommy and papi are there. As long as mommy and papi are there and they have a sense of normalcy within the confines of like our home, we could be on Mars. And it's like, (laughs) as long as there's some certainty from a family unit perspective, they're okay. So tell me, I mean, obviously you've done big things. You've been in corporate. You've been on your own since 2011. So tell me your path. Like what, uh, did you go into school for uh, marketing? Uh, did you do your MBA? What, what kind of got you on this path where you're at this point now where you're passionate about helping women? Kind men of, and women. Men both. and women, both. Yeah. Uh, to find that, the, that tactical steps to, to actualize their dream in reference to marketing. So tell me a bit about your story and how it started. Well, the journey started for me at an unusually young age. So when I was 17 years old, that is when I had my first taste of corporate. So this was, of course, you know, there've been so many mergers since. So I'm just going to go and like talk in terms of like Heritage Chase Manhattan Bank. You know, that's now JP Morgan <laughs> Chase. But that was my first employer. I worked for Chase. This was in 1997. I was 17. This was wow. before cynicism of the workforce that kind of has like pervaded some environment. This was before me assuming that, um, you know, the rug could be taken out from under me through layoffs. So a lot happened to me since I was 17, having worked in corporate environments. So Chase ultimately paid for my undergraduate degree. I studied Mm -hmm. psychology and I had to work for them for four consecutive years, like Mm -hmm. every single, you know, week. It wasn't just summer sort of holidays. So that's kind of how I breathe through, for lack of a better word, um, I think it was like five or six business units that I had worked in, on, you know, at the time. And so I, I adamantly decided not to take one business course. I remember my dad back in the day saying, Melissa, but you have this amazing opportunity. I was attending NYU, take a business course. And I said, no, 
I have the opportunity to like actually do things and, you know, do the marketing, do the whatever else was going on at the time, you know, having full uh, transparency, marketing looked very different, right? Back in 1997 versus (laughs) today. Um, But net, net, what I realized, what I came to realize having been exposed to a corporate environment and a huge multinational back in the day was ultimately that for the bulk of, of all of my experiences, people were unhappy. They were unhappy. And I think, to be really honest, I think because I was so young, I really, really, really absorbed and saw and noticed and was almost like allowed in a way to, to engage with people on a more human level as opposed to, you know, through the walls of corporate jargon and like title and blah, blah, blah. So when I, when I felt that, you know, that unease amongst people that I perceived on the surface to look successful, um, it, it got to me. And so that was four years of day-to-day experience and me kind of having a parallel existence, right? So college campus, everybody's like, you know, youthful and excited and dreaming about big careers. But then I would go to the office and it was like, wow, totally different. And that started my curiosity around, okay, what's going on here? Why is it that very capable adults, because I was a child at the time, are are self-selecting, you know, opportunities opportunities or roles where, you know, they are being almost like kind of shackled by compensation and healthcare benefits Mm -hmm. rather than really, you know, leveraging their, their highest value talent. Mm -hmm. And so that was a long time ago. And the way I started my journey was helping my friends at the time, because my friends didn't know what was going on in terms of, you know, corporations. And I also had the privilege of having a lot of professional development, you know, Mm -hmm. accessible to me, JP Morgan Chase. Now um, they're, they're known worldwide for leadership development, you know? And so essentially I took advantage of that. It was like, oh, this is customer service. And I, and I learned it and I would teach my friends or, oh, this is how you do a resume. I learned it and I would teach my friends. So it started like that voluntarily just helping people that didn't have access to these resources, very young people. And as I grew and I matured in my experiences in life, I then decided to basically almost take my clientele up with me. So it's Mm -hmm. like people of like similar age, similar job title, similar experiences. And I, and we kind of grew together. Fast forward, I had several corporate experiences. So after Chase, um, this was right before 9-11 and I was in New York and I remember thinking, okay, so Chase supported my university, you know, uh, bills and Chase gave me all these wonderful opportunities. And again, let's be mindful. I was like 21 or 22 in my mind. I said, okay, well, I'm kind of tired of Chase. I don't really want to work there full time. I want to explore experience. So I ran after Reuters. Again, Mm -hmm. it's like I'm dating myself, but now they're Thomson Reuters. And so I went after (laughs) Reuters. And then then I was in another program where it was, you know, in one business unit to another. So again, I'm like racking up the business Mm -hmm. unit experiences. And then 9-11 happened. And during that time, um, clearly there were so many layoffs at that time, being that we were plugged into the financial community because I was helping people with their financial information, like um, software solutions, essentially. And essentially, you know, at that time I was let go. And I remember when I was let go, I was on my own. And Mm -hmm. I remember thinking to myself, oh my gosh, like, how can I 
get plugged back in to a corporate setting for two reasons. One, my identity was tied to corporate. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I grew up, I was 17 when I was like a Chase employee. Chase, mm -hmm. Chase, 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 and then Reuters, 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 and now who am I, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And at that moment, I remember, again, super old school, but I took the yellow pages, white pages, whatever they were back then, <laughs> yes. and I, I just started calling recruitment agencies, cold calling them. So it took me 30 days to get another job. And so I got a job. It was like BMP Paribas, but before that, Zurich Financial, net, net. It was short-lived because in the back of my mind, I wanted to go to law school. Mm -hmm. And the funny part about that is um, essentially it was a blessing in disguise. I volunteered to be let go during a certain like acquisition that they made. And that money became my money for like my first semester of law school, mm. which I promptly left because okay. for me... It wasn't in my heart and I realized, and I think it's all about hindsight, not in the moment. In hindsight, it was more of a significance play. It was more like ego. It was like, you know, um, if I become an attorney, I will be perceived as smart. I will be perceived as, you know, rich. And I'm just using the terminology I would have used back in the day, right? And, and so I had all these things tied up with that identity. So you kind of see how my identity was really attached to other entities, not to mm -hmm. me. And that's right. a problem. That's right. a problem when, you know, you have to be untethered nowadays, especially to a single employer because of the volatility, volatility with which um, that relationship can, can kind of like evolve. Um, so that was, that was then. And after, in that time frame. I selected to, when I left law school, because I did quit law school, I opted to do a lot of soul searching, right? And again, this whole time I had been informally still at this time, coaching people and helping people mm. think through themselves, how can they stand on their own two feet? How can they be the CEO of you ultimately mm -hmm. is what mm -hmm. I tell my clients. And so at that time during between the law school part and, you know, Melissa goes to business school part, which I do have my MBA. Right. Um, I decided to go on this, like, I mean, it was just like a, a battery of interviews. I interviewed everybody who, who would have a conversation with me that had a job that I thought was interesting. Hmm. So I interviewed people that were like, you know, career counselors and like mental health counselors. And I mean, people that, you know, were in advertising, et cetera, et cetera. Out of that whole thingamajig, it was very much like the alchemist, right? It's like the answer lies in the original spot, essentially. <laughs> it's like, hello. Um, but I went on a quest and I met great people. And at the end of the day, I decided, okay, I've always had a thing for advertising. And that brought me to marketing, right? Advertising, marketing. Um, and for me, it was like just interesting how you can influence a person to take action. Like that was the piece that was kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. It was also a little scary because I was like, oh my gosh, you could really do something bad with this power, right? Mm -hmm. So that's when I decided to, before investing in a business school education, to actually work in the field right. so that I had a good idea of whether I enjoyed it or not. Fast forward, worked for American Express, that for other marketers, you know, that would be known as the client side, the brand side, 
I thought, and I'm just being super, super transparent here. I thought it was kind of boring personally. So what I did was um, I spoke to the most interesting person that worked at Amex and he was in charge of international advertising. And he's now, I believe the CMO of Verizon actually. Um, So yeah, I knew, I knew then who some power players would be. And, and I figured out I should be in advertising, like pure advertising. So that was my transition to Ogilvy and Mather. Mm -hmm. Fast forward at Ogilvy and Mather, I said to myself, you know, I was thinking education, education, how can I get my graduate level education? And so I decided to go for it at Dartmouth. And so I studied business at Tuck. Um, Mm -hmm. And you have the benefit of not choosing a concentration. So I didn't have to pick marketing. But what I did was I created my own experience, kind of like choose your own adventure. I created my own experience. And at Tuck, at Dartmouth, um, I decided to just really explore, you know, what is marketing? Okay, I had done marketing what's the theory behind marketing, which was hilarious to me because I I felt like I was doing things a little backwards. It was like, first I had that hands-on experience and then I'm like getting the the foundational sort of like concepts. Um, But at the end of the day, it was was just an an interesting life experience. It also took this New York City girl, not Manhattan, New York City, but Queens, New York City, into the deep woods in New Hampshire. That is where Mm -hmm. my business school was. Um, And I also had the opportunity to have that education also sponsored by corporations. So I didn't have to pay that either, Mm -hmm. which gives you a sense of why later on in life with three children, me and my husband are able to be more flexible because we both were able to figure out a way to kind of crack the code from an academic, you know, loans perspective. And I say this to the U.S. audience, not so much in Canada, but from a U.S. audience, you've got financial burdens around loans. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. So that's essentially how, how it all evolved. And after business school, that is when I did do a little bit of advertising immediately after, but then I became a mom. And that's when I decided to go full force in terms of my online business and in terms of figuring out how I can ultimately, what I like to call, um, I call it career martyrdom. And so this is another insight that I wanted to express. So at 17, when I saw all these unhappy people around me, right? And then even, you know, throughout my life experiences and throughout my, my work experiences, <clears throat> when I saw all these unhappy people, I just started to think to myself. And I think also the culmination was when my dad retired. So my dad was working 40 years in the wines and spirits business, and he just retired this year. And for me, I realized I was like, there's like this role that a lot of, and I'm thinking parents play, and it's that of a, of a martyr. It's almost like you give up your own happiness, fulfillment, your own dreams, so that your children can live out their own. However, mm-hmm. however, I'm not quite seeing when that generation actually executes on their own dreams. I really see this as a cycle. And I, and I think about it like career martyrdom. It's like, you're really like um, being selfless, but then it's like the next generation saw that you were selfless. So they're going to be selfless. And it's like this cycle. It's a repetitive cycle. So, I mean, it's obviously you at a very young age were intuitive enough to recognize that adults were actually kind of abandoning their dreams um, relatively early. So you were, like you said, you, you straddled both worlds. You were in kind of like, you know, beginnings and, and excitement, but then you were seeing the 
actual reality of what people were doing where like you said they get they get imprisoned by the by the paycheck and then you have children and you have benefits and it's a difficult thing to walk away from so you start almost got a window into that relatively early absolutely and and for me you know it could have been being um naive it could have been you know ignorance is bliss when you're 17 you don't have a good sense of you know what what needs to happen i remember when i got my first apartment and i had to pay for like my electricity and my gas and i was like what the heck is this like that was just that was surprising right but right. back then you're 17 and and you have a different mm -hmm. life experience and although i matured very young just because i had to take a lot of responsibilities early early on in life um i just hadn't quite realized how unhappy the people who were riding on the trains to go into manhattan mm -hmm really were. I just thought they didn't like to get up early and that's why they had mean faces, you know? I had no idea. So so it sounds like you were able to kind of tap into that superpower, I would say relatively early, and you kind of meandered to find what made sense to you. So you kind of, it sounds like you lived the experience by not getting caught up with you know, kind of like you said, that, that cycle that a lot of people get into, you know, you get the entry level job out of university, oftentimes in corporate and, and if you don't, if you kind of get stuck or, you, or you're afraid to make that shift, people kind of stay. And like you said, to that point, the people are a little bit disgruntled, but sometimes people don't take the risk, like to be able to explore. And it sounds like that's what you started to do. And that is that what you do now with your clients? that aren't listening internally to what they're wanting? And is there something that you do with them to kind of help them along? Absolutely. I would say, you know, pertaining to my clients, a lot of times what happens is, you know, the initial conversation might be very like on the surface, right? So it's kind of like, this is my past. This is my history. This is what I've done. This is what I think I can do. This is what makes sense based on, mm -hmm. you know, the contributions I've made. And what we usually begin with is just that point. First, like what contributions have you made? And really, you know, deep, deep diving in on the contributions that you've made, not just at the office, but even outside of the office because that's usually where like the gold lies it's like what are you doing for free because that mm. tells me something about what's really in your heart what's really in your soul pertaining to the dreams that you would like to see made true from a professional mm. perspective um, there's other little tricks and tips that I do. One that I love sharing is I'll sometimes just look at, you know, what is someone's, what was someone's major as an undergrad? So mm. this could be someone that is 50 years old, but I'm literally looking on LinkedIn and to see like, what did they pick when they didn't have mega responsibilities? Mm -hmm. But obviously the question is like, was it your choice or your parents? So that's something I always kind of, you know, and ask. But um, there's like little clues, right? So what I like to do with my clients is really go to those little clues and, and really explore them and then see if there's a way to sell your potential in that space. And what I mean by that is, again, not being caught up by history, not being caught up by your past experiences, contributions, and what your boss and friends think you're good at and should do. Um, it's important to untether yourself, not just from those opinions, but then also untether yourself in a way that you have, like you're in a, an experience, you're in a, a situation that has a lot of inertia to it, especially mm -hmm. if you're hyper successful. If you're hyper successful and people are telling you, you rock at Excel spreadsheets, obviously they'll say it differently, but let's just 
keep it real here. Um, if they tell you, you rock at Excel spreadsheets, and let's say in the pit of your stomach, they make you vomit as they do for me. Um, you'll still do those Excel spreadsheets because you get that external validation. And you're like, well, if I do this one really well, I'll get compensated a bonus, whatever a promotion. So there's that piece of the puzzle too, that I work through with my clients. So first it's really, okay, what have you contributed? Not just from a professional perspective at the office, but you know, what you've done beyond the office, what's that number? And my mm -hmm. clients come up with a number. They come up with a number. They're like, hmm, well, I supported someone doing X and this may have been at my church. And I know that I brought in, I'm making this up, you know, X volunteer hours. And if I had to pay them, you know, 50 bucks an hour, 20 bucks an hour, that would amount to Y. So we come up with a number, right? What's the big number? How much value from a compensation from a money perspective, okay. not salary, how much value have you delivered to the world? Then it's that piece of, okay, so you've delivered that much value to the world. How risky are you willing to be at this stage of your life? And I think that's mm -hmm. another part of the puzzle that'll, that differs for people. It's, it's kind of akin to your um, investment portfolio, right? Are you like conservative? <laughs> yeah, you're right? aggressive or where are you at in the stage and all those yeah. things. And it, it's a combination effect. So Clearly, I'm going to ask you a question because I'm curious about this. Yeah. Um, what is it that you think is one of the main stumbling blocks from people listening to that deeper passion within themselves? Yeah, based on my conversations with thousands of people at this point, it's really, it's really, it boils down to what other people will think. Like what will other people think? And this is, this runs the gamut. So if you have a, as an example, a job title, let's just make pretend vice president, you know, for a WPP agency or something. And people in marketing would understand what that is from an advertising conglomerate perspective. So let's say you have that job title. There's a lot that comes with that job title. The assumption mm -hmm. is you're vice president in this particular niche. Hmm. You must be really good in that niche. Hmm. Um, if you go outside of that box, um, is that because you weren't really good at that niche, you know, or, you know, what are you bonkers? Like you're in your forties, this is when you're supposed to make the most money humanly possible. Like, why don't you stay in your niche? So that's, that essentially a lot of that comes from the external environment, but we really play it out in our brains. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'll give you an example. A client of mine, um, is a fitness fanatic. I mean, he's been in that space in his mind and in a gym since he was like 11 years old. His family and him, they were in a magazine for fitness, right? Now, fast forward to adulthood, he's in an advertising space and he is petrified of the idea of leaving a corporate entity to build out his own fitness practice because he thinks, but I have an MBA. Like, that's not what I'm supposed to do, you know, or, or what's my family going to think? Are they going to think that I am not appreciative of the sacrifices that they made mm. in order to help me with my education, with my life? So there's, there's all of this, I mean, expectations, but caring about what other people think. And another one is, you know, based on with whom you hang out, right? You have mm -hmm. a certain, you, you, there's certain topics that come up every single time you hang out. So I remember one person, you know, shared with me, she's like, well, I'm part of this group of ladies in a part in California. And we always talk about, you know, what we do at the office and we work for these like amazing organizations. And we're always talking about work stuff. Will I fit in anymore? 
what am I going to talk about if all of a sudden I, I, I work in academia? What if, what, you know, am I going to look important to, to my peers if all of a sudden I drop off this, you know, ladder? Mm-hmm. It's, it's a lot of that. And some of it is not necessarily that people are um, hearing these messages directly, although parents might say something, even, even to adult children. So I want to be very clear. I don't coach teenagers. These are 50-year-olds, 6-year-olds, 40-year-olds, 30-year-olds. But it's kind of, and funny enough, I spoke to my dad this morning because of what's going on now, but it's kind of like they, we still have this need to make them feel proud of us. Absolutely. And I think that's a normal part, like in kind of in my world with mental health and wellness, you know, and you, when people are trying to make a, a change and when you see some of the core blocking beliefs that they carry with them and they float back in time and, you know, and you ask them, when's the first time you kind of thought this about yourself? And they go, well, well, I was about 11 and you, oh, interesting. Tell me the story around that. So we do carry those, those messages, either implicit or explicit. So it sounds like you went, as you're kind of starting to work with your clients, these things are kind of coming to the top and you're working them through it to help them uh, get past it and look at the future vision. What kind of things do you do to have them actualize or get connected to that vision? What do you do with them? So I meet them where they are, right? So I'm not okay. going to be completely wild, but like, I'll give you an example. Let's imagine one of my clients recently. So in the back of her mind, her dream is to produce a documentary. She already knows what the topic would be. However, through our work, I'm helping her land a full-time opportunity at a tech startup so that she has money, capital to fund her dream. So mm-hmm. the way that I would help her and the way that I did help her actually, cause she's already employed. So we already went through the process was through a nine week, you know, mastermind it's all online. And essentially I helped her see her worth, right? Mm-hmm. The worth that she has forgotten the worth, ironically enough that a lot of her friends have seen in her, but she hadn't believed for herself. Mm-hmm. And so again, you know, some of it is like black and white, how have you contributed in the past? Here's the dollar figure. Great. How, how is it that you are positioning yourself to land this startup opportunity? So let's think through that. What can you say based on everyone else that's going after the same opportunity? How can you stand out? So what's your unique selling proposition? And that's part of my work. Just like mm-hmm. as marketers, we think about what's the unique selling proposition to a product or service. I'm right. doing it for you, People, the job yeah. candidate. Yeah. So we go through that process. In parallel, I'm teaching the same skills that this client could use to get funding for her documentary, right? Mm. So I'm teaching her how to network effectively with strangers, make it so that these strangers want to be her champions. Same Mm. concepts she could apply to getting funding for her documentary. And I say these things. So I have a good sense of, okay, what is your, you know, business as usual dream in terms of getting a job, but what's really behind that? Why is it important for you to get that compensation to land that opportunity? What if we could use in a more metaphorical way, your current employer as your VC, kind of like I did for my education. Like I was leveraging Mm -hmm. organizations to fund my education, right? Mm -hmm. So same idea, you know, why not really parallel path, but the priority with me in terms of helping my clients throughout the nine week program is making sure that they're in a place where they're getting compensated according to the real worth that they have been bringing, 
you know, to the table for X period of years. So we get to that number and then we think through, okay, great. How can we position you based on the challenges you can solve for this employer? Who should you talk to? And it's not just people in your network. You know, how mm. can you then figure out a way so that you have a brand and you're not tied to an employer? Even mm -hmm. if you get the job, that's my greatest, greatest concern for people. And I think right now in this pandemic, it's evident that you need to be able to stand on your own two feet. I do not care because even IBMers, okay, there's no guaranteed pension anymore for IBMers. We don't have this like Rolex at the end of, you know, 50 years of employment anymore. Um, so at the end of the day, I think that right now is the opportunity for everyone to build their own brand. And that's part mm -hmm. of my nine week program to have an always on networking strategy. That's part of my nine week program. And to make sure that at the end of the day, you have a very um, clear why, why mm -hmm. does it matter? And to that client, it's because I want to fund, you know, in her words, I want to fund this documentary that's going to help this particular subculture in Bolivia. She has a very specific why. Mm. And I want my clients, anyone with whom I'm interacting, we start with the why because that's going to give them the motivation when the challenges pop up. Do you find that most people know the real why? Or do you find that you have to help them le like level down to an inner core place to really know what the deep why is when they come to you? Well, I would say in terms of my sweet spot, right? So what I do best and the reason why I would say my process has really been effective is because I ask very nuanced questions. Mm -hmm. Like for me, it's, it's really a matter of figuring out what is that question they must answer in a way that is very clear that they can't kind of like wiggle their way around. And so mm -hmm. when I initiate my conversations with clients, and this actually comes when I invite people for like a free complimentary breakthrough session. Mm -hmm. So during the free, you know, breakthrough complimentary session, which I do provide and it's available for your audience members who are in marketing that want to make a career move now, what I do is I get them to that point of what's really behind all of the veneer, right? What's mm -hmm. behind all of this? What is that why for you? And, you know, really depending on what their answer is to that question, and it's not that broad, I am quite precise, depending on the conversation I have, you know, then we'll do a deep dive. Okay, well, now you need to tell me like, okay, what would that mean? Like, if we execute on what you say you want, what would that then mean to you? How would that impact your every single day, your family, the way you think about yourself, what you think is mm -hmm. possible for you and your children, if you have children, or if you want to build out a legacy. So that is through a written assignment that I would provide following a breakthrough session. So it's really, for me, I feel I have to iron my thoughts out on paper. Like that's the way I have found for me, I'm able to most, um, to best articulate what I want to express. And so that's, that's the tool that I would use for a client to really like hone in on their why. But it starts with general question, and then I get a sense of, you know, might, might there be something more to something that was said? Might there have been something unsaid <laughs> that I need to probe? Um, and then how can we put pen to paper so that they have it in front of them throughout the duration of my nine-week program? And I go back to that every now and again, especially when it gets hard. So would you say there's differences with men and women in reference to knowing their why? Or is it just depending on... Uh, the stage of the person's life in reference to making a change 
is there a difference or is it just that it, it, it's unique to the individual? It's, it's interesting. So from a gender perspective, I would say, you know, men and women that I have spoken to, they have not really been so shy about their true, true, true why. When it comes to execution, I do notice differences. So I do notice that men will, and this is again, just based on the conversations I've had with people who tend to be within like the 30 year old to 50 year old, like age range, you know, they basically say, okay, this is really what I would love to explore or do. I would say men for the most part. And I'm thinking people that have children. So there's a point of differentiation there. People that do have children, the women that have children, I've noticed rather use that extra time, Mm -hmm. um, really being a mom instead of testing out their dream. The Mm -hmm. men that our parents also, they might actually want to test out their dream. So there would be people that come to me that the men have actually piloted their side hustle ideas as one example. Right. Okay. The women just come to me with the ideas and they haven't piloted it and they're not going to pilot it unless yeah. somebody pushes them. Right, um, right. So, the, that so the coaching is a bit different. I, I would think sometimes if you're trying to kind of move them along with men, it's kind of having them take the steps and women, it's kind of having them see that it's potentially possible, but how can they make it fit into their worlds? 100%. Absolutely. Because you can wait and you can sometimes wait a very, very long time. I think of when I made my shift from corporate and, uh, you know, I was with the company for 16 years, then I got a severance package and then I took the step. And, but I'd always had it in the back of my mind to your point. But again, I was in that stage at, you know, a young, young child, you know, a lots of different things going on at that time. Um, And, but I was loving what I was doing at the time. So I was absorbing a lot of things, but sometimes you get pushed out that says, here's the ledge. (laughs) Are you going to jump? And, you know, Know, and then you take that step and you think, what, what am I doing? Like, you know, and then you, like to your point, you get the, you know, somebody to assist you to, to really look at that long vision to what am I, what, what will I be doing? Like, I mean, I have all this experience, I have the education, but now what? And you know, like anything else, you have all this stuff that you've done, but having somebody help you funnel down to why are you doing what you're doing and, and why did you start to do this stuff to begin with? right? And is it really your passion? Those types of things. That was the valuable thing that I found helped me pivot and make a, a, you know, a big shift and start my business. So I could see how sometimes the difference between men and and women can, can be. So, so with you, I'm sure people are wanting to know about uh, this uh, free consultation calls. Let's talk a little bit about the podcast before, because I, I, I want to make sure we have enough time. Tell everybody about the podcast. Like I said, we're both uh, sheep podcasters. We belong to a Facebook group um, that really uh, speaks to women in podcasting, giving us things that maybe other uh, traditional platforms, not that there's problems with uh, male platforms, but it gives us a voice in a different way. So tell everyone a little bit about uh, the podcast, Melissa. Yes. So it's an interview with Melissa Lorena. And the interesting bit about it is that I've been really known for job interviews. That's why I decided to just really make this pure interview format. And what I do is essentially I'm interviewing people that can be you. They can be you. Like you can be those people, right? So I'm giving you case studies. It's kind of like this 
was their path. This is what they did. This is what made their journey um, help, you know, better, more comfortable for them versus like, this is what you want to avoid. And so there's been amazing guests, including Gary Vaynerchuk, which was a mission and a half. But again, how can you talk to strangers? Right. So again, that's me showing you how to do this. So I encourage anyone to listen to that one for that message as far as talking to strangers and, you know, people that have been former teachers who were making money, height of their careers and wanted to be, you know, either vloggers on sneakers or vloggers in terms of full-time artists. So it's people that are a bit of a collage. Some of it is also my curiosity because I'm, I'm just curious, like what gives Mm -hmm. people the courage to act on their curiosity in such creative ways. And so that is the premise of my podcast. So absolutely findable iTunes, Google Podcasts, and my website as well. Sounds amazing. Because I would think that another perspective is how did they fail? Because I think, you know, the growth within a lot of those things. And I think of my, my tenure since starting my business, how many times I failed. Um, and I, th- I thought I was on the right path, but you know, I then thinking, oh, I, I wasted that time. But really the lessons that were learned, um, it may not have given me an economic return, but boy, did it ever give me knowledge um, going forward, maybe you know, producing another product or uh, looking at a, a different platform or you know, creating a different service. So I, I think that those are amazing because you know, we often see the successful person out there and you're thinking, oh, they've never been through anything. And actually, when you talk to a lot of successful people, which I'm sure uh, through your, your podcast, you realize how much they've failed and how they pivot out of it. They, you know, they take a bit of time and then they do some things different and they, they get back up, they brush off and they go on. So I think it would be very, very valuable. So any last words before I let you go? I want to keep to your time because I know you have a tight timeline. Um, um, and you're, in a, you're at, what time are you in Sydney right now? It's my morning. It's 9, 11 a.m. Okay. So. And it's 6, 11 here. So you're on a different, definitely a different uh, time zone than me. So what, what words of wisdom for somebody think they're listening to you and they're like, oh yeah, sure, sure, Melissa. You know, it, it takes a lot to pivot. It takes a lot to make that step. I'm scared. Um, you know, I have children. I, you know, I have this phenomenal, you know, SVP or CEO position, but I've got this burning desire. What kind, of, what kind of words of wisdom would you give to someone like that about taking that step, even though it might be scary? So I would say that if you are a parent, um, just because you mentioned that sort of case study, right? So if you're a parent and let's say you're in your 40s, which typically are supposed to be like the highest income earning years or decade of our lives, what's really important is to make some some decisions pertaining to your lifestyle. And I know this might hit people where it hurts, but I think right now, this is such a unique opportunity from a global perspective, given where we are in our homes, you know, stuck, not having access to the outdoor or outside world, um, unless only through social media, for instance. But I think it's about making choices as far as what's necessary pertaining to our quality of life. You know, do we really need, and I'm just going to go out on a limb here, do we really need that huge house? Is that house really something that you as a little girl, a little boy, were dreaming of having as an adult? 
or again, going back to other people's expectations, was that a sign for your parents? Let's just say if they are alive, that, you know, they did a good job. So you have to be really honest with yourself because once you offload those financial burdens, you will feel lighter pertaining to the choices you make as far as the careers you must have and the compensation you must earn such that you can still feel like you are a provider, whether you're a mom or a dad. And that's a, that's a practical first step, just thinking through what's necessary, what's not, and what are the reasons behind your acquisitions, for lack of a better phrase. Um, and then the second one is this, and I think this is really important, and this is something that I've been fighting for for years, which is that I firmly believe that our dreams as parents can live side by side with our mm -hmm. children's dreams. As a matter of fact, I would say that is optimal because they need paradigms. They need models. If they see you and you could fall along the way towards building your dream, but if they see you get back up, you are then providing them with an opportunity to see, okay, whatever I might want is possible. It might be hard, but huh, this is how my mom was able to get back up or huh this is how my dad was able to get back up so that would be those are those are points that i think right now if you're stuck at home and i said this um in another podcast the other day i think if you're stuck at home and you're on a sales call and you get a rejection right now this moment I think it's time to share with our kids how you handle rejection. I also think right now, if you feel that, you know, you shaved off 20 minutes, uh, 20 hours, actually, for some people of a commute time this week, why not mm -hmm. use that time to start building out your dream? But again, mm -hmm. start with the whole, like, what is absolutely necessary from a quality of life perspective? And then what can I do without? And then, okay, so what does that mean? How much money do I really need every single month? And, you know, obviously healthcare comes into play from a U.S. perspective, not as much Canada, but yes. if, unless you do private, right? Health insurance. So I think those are tangible next steps, but absolutely, if you're a marketing professional and you want to make a career move and you, you know, this resonates, what I'm sharing with you resonates, reach out to me because that complimentary one hour is available if you are committed to really making a move. You know, it's so, I'll give you a little story before I let you go, but you know, when I wrote my book and uh, I, I got the severance, didn't have a job, I thought, well, I'm going to, I'm going to write a book, right? It was a thought. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of those things, no job, you know, severance package, recently separated. And here I am. Okay, sure. I'm going to launch this business. And uh, I wrote that book. And the biggest um, thing that came from that is the day my son could read the acknowledgments in the book to my book launch of 100 people. And so you are so right. Did I know what I was doing? Oh, hell no. I just thought I'm going to start this you know, business and the book is going to be a platform and that's kind of where it came from. But again, you are so right. They're looking at you and they're learning. And I think that opportunity to show them as real life role models that life's not easy, but anything's possible based on the things that you're willing to do. And for anyone listening, uh, you know, if that's something that you're willing to take that step into it and talk, get the right people, whether it's marketing or a different coach, figure it out, figure out if you don't have the information, there's somebody ahead of you that has helped others or has done it. And you find that mentor and you figure it out along the way to say, what next? And if I can't listen to my internal voice, who's, who can help me? 
So Absolutely. with Melissa, you know, definitely we're going to put her uh, link uh, to uh, both her podcast and um, the free consultation in the show notes. Uh, reach out, listen, learn. I'm going I'm, I'm to tune in and listen because I think those would be amazing stories. And, you know, I always talk about listening to that internal voice, which is so interesting when I hear what Melissa does. She does it on her marketing and I do it on a health and wellness end because at the end of the day, every choice that we need to make that's truly good for us is internally driven. And at this time, on this uncertain time, we have time. So like if what, like you said, that 20 hour commute or um, being able to work from home or just having the pleasure of being around your children or your partners that much more, use it in a way that helps you get a little bit closer to that internal authentic voice. So thanks again, Melissa. This was amazing. Um, and hopefully we'll connect again soon. This is Roxander Hodge of the Authentic Connection Movement. If you're any, needing any information on keynoting, training, or consulting, you can reach, reach me at roxanderhodge.com. Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxanderhajcom slash blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.